enjoy a lot of things, not just bacon. I enjoy actually uh, taking a look at various different things of history. And one of the things that I have found myself doing over the last few weeks is I go down some YouTube rabbit holes of just various different people's takes on history. History from all over the world. And one of the things that I have noticed is, is that it doesn't matter the culture, it doesn't matter the time frame, it doesn't matter the achievements that they might have, whether it's technological, whether it's art, no matter what, every kingdom, every culture is afflicted with the same thing, and that's sin. That's not, that's not too surprising today for me to say, is it? It's, of course, sin. And sin has this way of stealing. It has its way of killing and destroying. It has a tendency to cause us to lose our focus and begin to elevate the wrong things. It elevates the wrong things. And so uh, human beings have this... Uh, impressive ability to create some pretty pretty amazing things. I mean, you take a look at the aqueducts, you take a look at pyramids all over the world, by the way, there are a lot of things that are quite impressive. You take a look at the Chinese dynasties, the Roman Empire, uh, the, the Incas in, the South, in South America, all of them managed huge territories, all of them made significant contributions in the area of art and science, and they all proved one thing. Eventually, they elevated the wrong things, they divided themselves, and then they no longer existed. And so, did you know that human beings all throughout the world, there, was, there has always been slavery? Did you know that? It's always been slavery, always. There has always been oppression. There has always uh, been murder. There has always been government corruption. These are things that we are not just now learning in the news. It has always existed. They have always found a way to elevate the wrong things. Jesus made it very clear about the things that he values. You see, the kingdoms of this world are very, very different than the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He elevates the right things because he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Amen? And so for us today, if you want to know what is to elevate the right things, we have to look at Jesus. We have to say, what is the thing that Jesus says, I am about these aspects of my kingdom? And so we're going to take a look at a story of where Jesus talks about the values of his kingdom, and it is found in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28. Now, just to give you a little bit of a background of these verses, we find that Jesus, throughout his earthly ministry, he connected with a lot of different people. But he connected more specifically and more closely to 12 people, 12 men that were called the apostles, and some would use the more generic term, disciples. 
And so as he was meeting with these 12 people, these 12 people went everywhere Jesus went. They, they, they went and traveled with him. They listened to him as he preached the gospel. They watched him perform miracles. And not only that, they were eventually entrusted to do the very same things that Jesus did. They went throughout the world. They started preaching about the kingdom of God. And they began to perform miracles in Jesus' name. And so with all of this, we see Jesus realizing that the time for him to make his sacrifice was coming near. He started to prepare the disciples. He began to tell them, I'm about ready to leave. I'm about ready to move on to my heavenly father. You are going to have to start doing some of this stuff on your own. And what did the disciples do? What was their reaction? Well, Unfortunately, it was a lot of the same reactions and a lot of the same, uh, um, same sin that we have seen all throughout human history. They began to posture for power. And so you see disciples like James and John, they began to look and say, how, are, how is this going to affect us? I think that we should be the ones in charge. I think we should be the ones that have position of authority. Jesus is going to leave. That means I'm John. I am now the leader of the church. And they got to, be, got to the point where James, John's mother decided that she was going to insert herself into the equation. I'm going to campaign for my boys. Now, how many of you have seen somebody who butted themselves in the middle of a situation that was not their situation to butt in then, and they ended up advocating for a loved one in a way that was unhealthy? And have you seen that? Any of you are guilty of that? Just to be transparent here. And so we see this mother, and she has probably heard the complaints of her sons and saying, I should be given more responsibility. Don't you know that I am super awesome? I should be given more respect. And so you have these disciples saying that to their mother, and doesn't their mother say, you know what, I'm going to talk to your boss about this. How many of you would love to have a conversation between your mother and your boss? How many of you would like that? It, it would be kind of awkward, would it not? It would look a little bit silly. And so I think in a modern context, it would look a little bit like this. Let's take a look at the video. Why don't we get started? Right. So what's that, my permanent record? Yes. Let's see, 19 years NYPD, no disciplinary actions, 11 commendations, very nice. Yes, the commendations are nice, but really the job is its own. Well, that's the kind of attitude we look for around here. It's about teamwork, being part of the team. Your water. Oh, thank you so much. And the specs came for you, sir? Ah. So, as I was saying... Is this a joke? Excuse me? Dear FBI Agent Garfield, I'm writing to ask for your understanding. You have an interview this morning with my son, Robert Barone. I 
think you will find Robert to be an exceptional candidate for the job. He is hardworking, brave, and handsome. <laughs> I have hurt his chances somewhat. You see, he has a lucky suit. <laughs> and while I was ironing this morning, I ruined it. He was very upset, so he might be a little distracted. Please don't hold this against him. If anything, blame me. I don't mind, I'm used to it. <laughs> of course, it's also my other son, Raymond Barone's fault. He's a famous sports writer, perhaps you've heard of him. But mostly, I'm to blame. I only wanted Robert to look his best. Thank you for understanding. Sincerely, Marie Barone. to forgive me. I tried, but it'll mean more coming from you. Please forgive your mother. Oh, boy. An oldie but a goodie, right? My favorite part of that clip was the awkward silence followed by this stunned, horrified look on his face. He didn't know what to do. And so no matter how all of that went down with James and John and their mother butting in, uh, no matter what, they still found themselves being guilty of the same thing that has plagued other kingdoms and cultures throughout all of history. They ended up elevating their kingdom above Christ and his. And so let's take a look at Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came to be not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." The first thing that Jesus taught was is it's not about you. It's not about you. Anyone surprised by that? That the kingdom of God isn't about you? Verse 25 says that uh, for those who are not his followers, they elevate themselves. They only think about the benefits they gain. They only put in effort that will make them feel good. And verse 26 very clearly says, don't be like them. Because the values of my kingdom are far different than any kingdom that could be established here on this earth. Uh, and so Jesus was saying, please elevate the right things. Now, think about what the disciples are asking. Now, they were, they were grabbing for power and things like that. But think about this. The one who has been calling the shots this whole time has been Jesus. 
And he's about to leave. So they're asking the very practical question, what's going to happen when you leave? Who's going to be calling the shots? If there's 12 of us and we have 12 different opinions on what we need to do, then who's going to be the one that says, okay, guys, this is what we're doing? Who's going to break the tie? And so there was some legitimacy for at least them wondering, what is this going to look like? Whenever we look at anything in Scripture, I don't know about you, sometimes I have this tendency, this temptation to say, surely I wouldn't do that. Surely I wouldn't be so selfish and, so, and focused on my own needs and things like that, that I wouldn't try to have power and dominion over another human being. Of course, I would be the only person throughout the face of history that never would have struggled with that. I mean, look at all of history. Same thing over and over and over again, right? And so uh, let's put aside our own self-righteousness for a moment and just look at, would you think about who's going to be in charge when Jesus leaves? Of course you would. So why is this a problem? Well, some of it is because of the obvious selfishness aspect of it. But the other aspect is, is that the disciples were not very clear on what exactly Jesus' kingdom was going to look like. You had disciples who the only thing that they knew was earthly kingdoms that had physical territory, that had physical resources that they can touch and accumulate and gather. Every earthly kingdom up to a certain point always had somebody who was a ruler, right? Always had an emperor who was going to call the shots. And so for them, they were thinking, okay, Jesus is going to go somewhere. We don't know where, but when he does, I, John, am going to take his place. I am going to be king of the church. I'm going to be the new ruler of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And so Jesus was making this contrast mostly to say, if you're thinking that this is going to be a spontaneous, immediate thing of where, you, where I'm going to leave and then you are going to be this instant ruler and it's going to be very clear and visible and tangible, then I have different news. I have a different... Uh, a story for you. It's not going to be a short sprint across the finish line. It is going to be a long, with, uh, a drawn out battle for souls. It's not going to be about physical territory. It's not going to be about uh, resources and accumulating resources, invading other people's territory. It's going to be about loving and serving other people so that they can know Jesus Christ. It's going to look very different. It's going to fold out. It's going to unfold very differently. So with that being said, God doesn't come like an invader, like a conquering king. Now, he is going to conquer, but he doesn't come to you and try to beat you into submission. He doesn't come to you and try to bully you into submission. He comes to you with an invitation, right? He says, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that you might have life. So please, choose me. 
Choose me. Trust me. Have faith in me. Because if you leave it up to yourself, you're going to be like every other kingdom that has ever come and has gone. They have come, they have done incredible things, and then they started elevating the wrong things, and then they come crashing down. But I have come to give you eternal life. Be a part of an eternal kingdom. All you have to do is trust in me. It says in the scripture that the righteous will live by faith. Praise God for that, amen? Amen. Praise God that it has nothing to do with our works. It has nothing to do with our achievements or whether or not we have accomplished our agenda or not. It has to do, do we trust in Jesus Christ or do we not? In Isaiah 64, verse 6, it says this, All of us, all of us, have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. If we elevate ourselves, we are putting ourselves in danger. We are putting ourselves at risk. Check out the wording there. It says, all of us have become unclean. To put a little bit of an understanding on that, in the Old Testament, you were required to do various rituals in order to symbolically cleanse yourself from sin. And if you didn't do these rituals, then you were considered unclean and you weren't able to participate in God's community. And in this passage in Isaiah, it says all of us are like that. And so since all of us are tainted by sin, all of us, when we attempt righteous works, it only ends up being filthy rags. Once we get dirty, we can't clean ourselves up again. We all need a Savior. We all need to be cleansed by somebody who can do it even when we could not. Filthy rags is an interesting word to be used there. Do you know what that meant in the original language? It meant meant rags that were used for menstruation. And so all of us uh, in the Old Testament, if you were menstruating, you were considered unclean and you had to hold back for a moment until that was over and then you had to go through this proper cleansing ritual in order for you to be able to participate in God's community again. Again, this was a symbolic thing. It was meant to uh, illuminate the, the, um, the uh, helplessness of humanity. Women couldn't help but menstruate. Humanity couldn't help but sin. There was nothing that could be done. And so we are all stuck in this predicament that we have all sinned. And no matter how much we clean it up, all we end up doing is we end up smearing our sin over our bodies over and over and over again. We have a desperate need. And so because we need a Savior... When it comes to God and his kingdom, praise God that it's not about us. Praise God. It is an act of mercy for Jesus to say, it's not about you. Because if it was, we would be in serious trouble. He had to set the disciples straight on this, and we see this in Matthew 20, 22 through 23. He said, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. 
Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, oh, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Now the cup that Jesus is referring to here is suffering. He was saying, don't be so eager to take this big role in my kingdom thinking that it's going to elevate you. Don't think that this is going to benefit you in any way. The only way that you're going to be benefited by this is to say you're going to have eternal life. But if you think that your own selfish needs and desires are going to be propped up because you have some sort of elevated status in my kingdom, that's not what it's about. In fact, you're going to have to suffer for my sake so that the right things will be elevated, and that's Jesus Christ. It's not about us. Jesus went on to say, not only is it not about you, but let me tell you what it is about. It's about others. It's about others. Matthew 20, 26 through 27. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great uh, among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Now, isn't that a refreshing thing? That it's not about you, it's about others. And we have shown ourselves to be a, a, a group of people that recognize that that should be something that should be celebrated, right? I mean, you take a look at commercials, you take a look at social media campaigns, all of them are about let's work together with one another, let's accept one another, let's build each other up, don't discriminate against various different people groups, lift them up together, let's do this together, and we have this common noble goal that we all agree is important, but eventually we end up finding some way to point and say, nope, they are no longer a part of us. They are over on this side of the camp. No matter what we end up doing, we find a way to divide ourselves. And Jesus said, your goal in my kingdom is to serve. And not only to serve, but to serve like you are a slave. Like your very livelihood depends on you blessing this other person. The Bible refers to his kingdom and he refers to his church as a body. We see that over and over and over again. We see it in Ephesians, we see it in 1 Corinthians, we see it in Romans. So let's take a look at Romans and what uh, Paul has to say about the church and what our role is. For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though are many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance to, with your faith. 
If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, three takeaways that we have of this is is that A, don't think too highly of yourself. Again, it's not about you. B, we all belong to each other. There's no such thing as a lone wolf silo mentality in the body of Christ. At least there shouldn't be. We are in this together. We can't do this on our own. And And finally, we all have a function that is different from each other, but for the purpose of building each other up and lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. So there shouldn't be any competition among us, should there? There should be no agenda. There should be no divisions. We should simply serve. For some of you, you have been gifted with the function of vision in the body of Christ. You're able to see the whole picture. You're able to see uh, what uh, what needs to take place and all the things that need to fit together. And so you see all of this, but you are frustrated because you are wondering, why can't we move faster? Why can't we get from this place to this place quicker than what we have? And so what you end up doing is you end up criticizing the feet. You end up criticizing other members of the body of Christ and saying, what is wrong with you? Can't you just move? Move. And then the other temptation is, well, you know what? If they're not going to move, then I'm going to do it for them. And so you, as the eyes are saying, I'm going to be the feet and we're going to move. Now, I don't know about you, but I would much prefer to not use my eyes to walk around. They're already squishy. They'll get much squishier, I promise. And guess what? They're not going to be very great on the seeing things once that happens, right? We need you to stay where you're at. We need you where you are. So don't go fighting against other people thinking that you can do it better. Simply trust that Jesus is doing the work that only he could do and that we are all called to do this together. So let's encourage and lift each other up instead of fighting and saying that somebody isn't doing their part. Does that sound good? I'm skipping ahead here. So we have all of these responsibilities to do as the body of Christ. That has to do with us serving here at Grace Assembly. Some of you haven't been involved and making a difference with your service here in a long, long time. You just haven't for whatever reason. Will you allow this day to be the day where you are challenged to say, I'm going to make a difference for the sake of the, of the kingdom of God. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to, do what only, uh, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. Some of you have served and then you have backed away for a long, long time. Maybe you got hurt. Maybe you have burnt yourself out and you're afraid of getting back into it again. May I encourage you today that the body of Christ needs all of its members. 
If we are going to advance the kingdom of heaven, we can't do it with only 20% of the people doing the work. We need everyone involved. And that means that we have to be okay with working with one another. We can't say, no, just stay away. I'm going to do my own thing and it will, it'll, it'll be done in the way I want it. We have to start working together. And if we're going to see the gospel of Christ advance to the ends of the earth. For some of you, you have been involved for so long and you have been wondering to yourself, where is everybody? Well, when we start inviting people to be involved, please do not have this bitterness in your heart that says, where have you been this whole time? Don't have this bitterness to say, "Uh, you know what? You don't deserve to have moments of responsibility or recognition or leadership because I have been serving all of this time and you have not. Please remind yourselves it is not about you. It is about serving others, and finally, it is about Jesus. It is about Jesus. And with that, can I have the worship team come up? Verse 28 says that even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now think about this for a moment. Jesus told his disciples that he expected them to serve and to serve as if they were going to be a slave. And then he went and backed it up. He was a ruler of all creation. He was the creator. If anyone who could sit there and prop themselves up as somebody who could kick back and not do a doggone thing, it was him. But he chose to not come and say, serve me. He came to serve. Some of you right now are stuck. You're stuck in this cycle of selfishness and you don't know how to get out. Some of you have addictions. You would love to serve others, but you don't know how because you are enslaved and ensnared. And even if you wanted to take steps forward, it feels like you can't because there's something holding you back. Will you consider for a moment that today Jesus came to serve? He came to set you free so that you could have the privilege of being a part of his kingdom. So today, if that's you, if you're stuck, please know this is your day to be delivered. There is deliverance in Jesus' name. There is healing in Jesus' name. There's forgiveness in Jesus' name. There's not a single soul in here that is lost without anybody, without any hope of Christ coming back and saving your soul. So today, would you consider this to be your invitation to be a part of the body of Christ? For some of you, you have served Christ and you have believed in Him, but for whatever reason, you have found yourself elevating the wrong things. Maybe it's yourself, maybe it's your family, maybe it's something else, but now is your day to repent. Now is your day to say, I am 
I am done lifting up the things that don't matter. I am done putting my energy in the things that don't matter. I am lifting up the only thing that matters, and that is Jesus Christ and though and serving others.